Hey guys, welcome to the episode. It has been quite a while since I've recorded a podcast. I'm going to apologize right off the bat to you guys. It's been a long time. You are wonderful, wonderful individuals and people who are just looking for some good dog training advice. And I'm sorry that I've been absent. A little bit of the holidays, a little bit of I had COVID, a lot going on. I had two puppies here at one point, so... I apologize in advance, but we're going to get back onto our regularly scheduled program. And today we are kicking it off with why your dog should, should not, and how old they should be when you put them into puppy classes or training classes in general. So, first, let's start off start, uh, talking about why you would want to put your dog in a puppy class. So, I used to work at a facility and they limited their puppy class to about seven dogs. So, what does that mean? That means if you just got a puppy, the surrounding area that you exist in, your local dog trainers might have a very limited class setting. Now, they might have unlimited, which I would pose as a problem, right? If they say, oh, we're going to have so many puppies into this one class, that means that they can't physically control all of the dogs, which is a problem in case you have a dog fight, which does happen, or you are going somewhere where they have a ridiculous amount of trainers. Great, awesome. If that's the area you live in, I think that's awesome. The more trainers you have, the more dogs can be watched by one trainer, right? So the ratio is different. If you have one trainer overseeing 30 dogs, it's a problem, especially puppies who don't know how to communicate and uh, interact with each other on a safe level yet. If you have 15 trainers and 30 dogs, that's two puppies per trainer. That's a lot easier for them to manage and control than just one. So, I digress. Why would you want to put your dog in a training class or a puppy socialization class? Number one, as we know, if you've listened to the other podcasts, one of the influences of behavior is early experiences. That means that everything your dog needs to know is normal in their life should happen at the early parts of their life. Okay, so this is definitely before a year, even before six months. Really, it's um, 14 weeks is pretty far off. So when you first get a puppy, it's probably going to be around eight to ten weeks. That means you only have four weeks left of the, of the true socialization period. After that, yes, early experiences still do count. However, the, the critical time, the socialization period is from four to eight weeks, depending on the dog, up until 12 to 14 weeks. So you're really limited on how much time you have in that critical socialization period once you get a new puppy. Now, if you got a rescue puppy, you're starting at a severe disadvantage. That does not mean that your puppy was abused or beaten or locked in a crate for hours on end. That's not what that means just because they were rescued or they were used as a bait dog. It simply means you do not have as much control over making positive experiences to the things that they ex were exposed to before you got them. If they had to drive in a van for 15 hours to get from where they were to the shelter that you picked them up, they're going to associate cars with 15 hours, which I hate being in a car for that long. I'm sure puppies don't like being in a car that long. So that just means when you go to get them in the car, they're going to be slightly hesitant, maybe even fearful. They might have anxiety about it. And there's ways to counter condition that and work through it. Okay, so 
you decide to bring your dog to a puppy class, you might even have them signed up before you get the dog. That's a great thing to do. At the facility I worked at, we had evaluations, which meant if you got your dog at eight weeks and you scheduled your evaluation for nine weeks, you wouldn't be able to take a class as long as your dog was approved until week 10, which means you've lost two and a half weeks. So if you can have everything set up, organized, scheduled before you get the puppy, that is the best. Uh, we will be having a scheduled calendar for new puppy owners and once you get a puppy up on matadorcanine.com it is not posted yet but it will be fairly soon so keep an eye out for that that's just a schedule going over everything you should be training looking out for vaccines all of that is going to be on the website but i digress as i typically do so you're taking your dog to class it's your first class what do you need to know number one your dog is not going to pay attention right off the bat Unless you have done a ridiculous amount of training work before you get to class, which remember, you've only had about a week. So if you really packed in the time, built good engagement, uh, worked around some other distractions, then brought your dog to puppy class, you're probably having a better start than everybody else, but your dog isn't going to listen to you nine times out of ten. The point of getting them to a puppy class is to have them socialized and working around other dogs without necessarily playing. Now this might come a shock to some of you. If I bring my dog to the dog park every day or to a puppy class and they get to play with dogs every single day, they are going to learn playing with dogs is highly reinforcing, which is true. Okay, Think about a kid going to Disneyland. They go to Disneyland. They love you know, chasing around for Mickey Mouse and trying to find the characters and going on rides and eating candy. All those things are highly reinforcing. Now, if a kid had to work at Disneyland for a year before they could go on any other rides, they're going to get desensitized to the rides and the characters and the food because it's a different mentality. The mentality is I can be around these rides, but I don't get to go on them. And I'm just going to focus on what i got to focus on, and eventually maybe I'll get to go do those things. It doesn't take away the fun when they do get to play or do get to go on the rides, but it keeps them in a proper working mode when it's necessary. And they can easily come back from it because that is the default. That's the important part. It's the default. If your dog has a default of playing with other dogs, then that's the first thing they're going to want to do. If their default is to focus and pay attention and work with you and be engaged with you, and randomly they get to go play, they can always go back to the default. And that's how you should structure your training. If your dog is going to play with other dogs, there should be obedience first. They get to play and then back to obedience. I'd even do it multiple times. So they do some obedience, they go to play, obedience, play, obedience, play, back and forth. Not only does this strengthen your dog's mindset on being able to focus around high distractions, which will help you later on in life when your dog sees another dog on a walk, or you want to bring them at a boarding facility and you don't want to struggle going through the door, or you just have somebody come over and visit. That excitement and the practice of having them focus around excitement is incredibly reinforcing to your dog. And it's incredibly useful to them. So, when you go to class, you bring treats, high value, low value, toys, water, extra leash, extra collar, harness maybe. All of these things in a bag, just have it ready. Okay. You might even want to buy treats when you get there, depending on what type of treats the facility has. But bring things like cheese, bring things like cold cuts, hot dogs, super high value. Now, 
do not be afraid to tell the instructor or the trainer, I don't want my dog to play with other dogs, right? Wherever you go, you will be your dog's advocate, always. So, we used to have at this facility that I no longer work at, I need to preface that, I no longer work here, we used to have 45 minutes of training where they did play sit, down, stand, off, eye contact, leave it, loose leash walking, we got them up on some equipment, had them doing other things. We would do 45 minutes of that, and then they got to play for the last mm, 5 to 10 minutes, depending on how many dogs there were and how excited they were. Now, what does this teach the dog? In my opinion, it teaches the dog to work for 45 minutes, stop working, and go to play which means we're putting a limit on how long our dog needs to work for. Now, for puppies under six months old, 45 minutes is a long time. Some dogs at a year old, 45 minutes is a long time. You can, of course, work on that with duration training, but we'll talk about that in another episode. I dive, I've digressed too, <laughs> too far at this point. <laughs> so, right, 45 minutes of working and then playing. I would have much rather had 10 minutes of working, five minutes of playing, 10 minutes of working, five minutes of playing, 10 minutes of working, five minutes of playing, and then end with work, 10 minutes of working. Not only would this strengthen the dog, but it would actually help the owner understand more of the concept of sandwiching obedience and excitement, obedience and excitement, obedience and excitement. What happened to the owners and what happened to the dogs was, oh, at the end of class, all of the dogs get to play and have a grand old time which meant as the puppies got older and they moved from the puppy socialization class to the other obedience classes, trick classes, agility classes, they thought it was acceptable at the end of that class to play because that's the pattern and habit that they developed in the earlier classes. As opposed to, we are always working, we are always focused on our dog, our dog is always focused on us, and randomly we will let them play. Randomly, we will let them get a little more excited, but still work in obedience. So if you told your trainer, your instructor of the class, hey, I don't want my dog to play with other dogs, you would be doing your dog a better training service than what you'd be getting out of the facility. Why is that? The facility has reasons and rules and why they do certain things. But if you're going to be your dog's advocate, and you're going to say, listen, I know my dog should be socialized with other dogs, and that's what I want but I need my dog to be focused on me because I live near a major highway. Or I like to bring my dog to hang out with other dogs at the beach or the park, right? You're already setting yourself up for success because later on in life, your dog needs to focus around you. That's the only important part, okay? Yes, your dog needs to be socialized to other dogs. It needs to be okay around other dogs and the body signals. Okay, is that dog stressed? Do they want to play? Do they not want to play? Is that dog aggressive? They need to know those things. And that's why you want to sandwich between the focus and the playing and the excitement. But if you're only focused on working, 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 okay, now they can go do the excitement. Your dog is always thinking about the end, right? They're going to get through with what they have to get through in order to get the end result and they don't care about coming back to you and focusing back with you. Okay, so that's what you do when you go to class. Now, why should you not go to class? You should not go to class if your dog is already properly socialized with other dogs. They already have the skills. There's no need to go to class. What you need to do is go to the dog park, stay outside the dog park, and work with your dog. Loose leash walking, eye contact, 
name recognition, recall, obedience, tricks, agility, whatever you want to do. All of those things are going to be strengthened by being around distractions, around other dogs, around other people. All of that's going to be built upon, right? So if you have one skill, let's say it's sit, just for simplicity, right? You taught your dog to sit. Can they do it in the kitchen? Can they do it in the bathtub? Can they do it on the toilet? I've, I've had dogs who couldn't do anything outside because they were overstimulated. So I started saying, okay, can they do it in the kitchen, the living room, on the bed, off the bed? Can they do it on the toilet? Put down the toilet seat, have them sit on the toilet, as long as it's not a Great Dane or a Newfoundland. And have them sit on the toilet and do obedience commands. Yes, it's going to be weird. Yes, they're going to fail. But you know that ahead of time, and so you're going to set them up for success. You're going to go back to step one. You're going to lower them through the process, mark and reward for repeated success, build up their confidence, and then ask for the behavior. And then you start doing it in the shower. Can they do it in the shower with the water on? Right now, okay, can we do it in the backyard? Can we do it east of the backyard? Right. So you go to the backyard, go to the left, go to the right. You move around the backyard. Now let's try the front yard right in front of the door. If they can't do it there, that's okay. You're going to go back to step one. You're going to build up their success, their confidence, and you're going to try again. And then you start doing it down the block. Then you go to the park. Then you go to the dog park. Right. Then you go to the beach where dogs are running into the water. You might even take your dog into the water and start asking for obedience right on the shoreline. All of those distractions are going to strengthen the sit. I'm, I know it might not seem like it, okay, but it will. So I'll put it into perspective like this. Math is usually a taxing skill for most people. And I don't mean taxing as in like taxes for math. But math in general, if you haven't done the Pythagorean theorem for a long time, you're going to forget what the Pythagorean theorem is. Right? Does anybody remember what the Pythagorean theorem is? If you remember, kudos to you. The only reason I remember the Pythagorean theorem is because there was one time my dad and I were building something in the basement, and we had cut something wrong, and it, it didn't fit because of the Pythagorean theorem. The Pythagorean theorem is a squared plus b squared equals c squared, which means the hypotenuse, the longest side of a right triangle, is always the longest side, and it is equal to the square of the hypotenuse is equal to the square of the other two sides. a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Now, that I've asked you to remember that, you are probably going to forget by the end of the day. Okay? Or if this is the end of the day for you, you're already listening to it, you're going to forget by tomorrow. So, if tomorrow I bring it up, you're going to go, okay, I, you know, I, I kind of remember it, I might remember it. And if the day after I bring it up, if I brought it up in the next six podcasts that I do, and you listen to my podcasts every single day, you're going to start remembering the Pythagorean theorem a little bit more. Now, even better yet, if you listen to this podcast when you're doing the dishes, when you're vacuuming, when you go out for a walk with your dog, when you're driving, when you're having lunch at the office, whatever it is, you're going to think about the Pythagorean theorem in all these different places. So now there might be something that is very consistent. I would, I would say it's the podcast that's consistently bringing up the Pythagorean theorem. So when you hear this podcast, subconsciously, you're gonna, your brain's going to be thinking about the Pythagorean theorem. However, if randomly a friend had a problem, now this is very far-fetched, excuse me for this kind of explanation, <laughs> but if a friend was like, hey, I can't fit my textbook in my backpack, okay, or I can't fit my laptop in my suitcase, whatever it is, you are going to remember math. You're going to think about it. And I know this sounds weird. Maybe I should come up with a different example, but the Pythagorean theorem 
will somehow connect to your brain because you've heard about it in all these different places. You know what? I'm going to come up with uh, another explanation. Give me one second to think about it. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. I paused for a moment and uh, I thought about a, a better, a way better example. <laughs> so for everyone that struggled for the Pythagorean theorem, I'm so sorry. Here's a much better example. Coffee. Okay. Coffee is coffee is coffee. Unless you are somebody who drinks a lot of coffee. Now, I used to work at Starbucks. And we'd have our regular customers. They came in every single day. Okay. If Bob came in every single day and he got a caramel macchiato with three pumps of classic syrup, he expected the drink to taste exactly the same every time. Caramel macchiato, three pumps of classic syrup. Okay. And he was conditioned to think that the place, the, the location I worked at, had mastered his drink. We even knew it before he came in. Sometimes we saw him pull up in the car and we would just start making the drink because we were guaranteed he was going to get that drink. Now he goes to another Starbucks. He's traveling. Maybe it's closer to his office instead of his home and he missed us for whatever reason. So he goes to the location near his office. He orders caramel macchiato, three pumps. Now the system that pumps the caramel macchiatos is slightly off, which means, he's, I'm sorry, the pumps of classic syrup. Instead of three, it does more like three and a half. Okay, maybe the barista was aggressive with it, and it's three and a half, which means that drink is going to be slightly sweeter. Now he can clearly tell the difference because he gets the exact same drink every single day. Caramel macchiato, three pumps of classic syrup. He goes to this new place, caramel macchiato, three pumps of classic syrup is what he says, and what he gets is a caramel macchiato with 3.5 pumps of classic syrup. What does this mean? He has not generalized this drink. This drink is so strongly conditioned and specified in this one location that in the next location, it's not even close. Okay, now to us, we're like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar. But to him, because it is a very strict connection, he does not associate the caramel macchiato in this new location having 3.5 to be the same drink as in the first one. So now he'll only go back to the first one. And that was true for him. He stuck to the location I worked at for the two and a half years I worked there. He was solid on it. He said, this is my place. So, what does that have to do with dog training? If you practice inside the house doing a trick, we're going to say paw, and you never go outside, your dog becomes so stuck on the fact that he does paw inside or she does paw inside that outside, it's a completely different thing. So when you're first teaching a skill, maybe even before you add the word, you should do it in all these different places. You should do it in the front yard, in the backyard, inside the house, on the toilet, second floor, basement. Put him on the couch and have him do it. Put him in the back of the car, have him do it. Put him in the front of the car, right? In the trunk, in the front passenger seat. Have him do it in all these different places, and it becomes really, really strong. If you don't take the time to do it in these places, your dog's not going to learn how to do it. So as it relates to puppy class, if you've practiced this obedience routine at home, and you now take them to puppy class and you're expected to let your dog play, they're going to think those are two different situations. Oh, well, obedience class or obedience at home is one thing, and when I get to class, I get to play. 
It's like going to math class expecting math, and then you go to English class and you expect English. You don't expect to be asked to do math at English class. It just wouldn't make sense. You might need to, rather, right? If you're in English class, you wouldn't expect to go to math and learn English unless it's a word problem. That's where they kind of overlap. So with your dog, if you're going to be taking them to group classes, puppy class, whatever it is, you need to make sure not only should they have the fundamentals, the, the focus, the engagement, the eye contact, name recognition, they should have that before you go to puppy class. You should at least know how to manage a situation and tell the instructor, listen, I'm not going to let my dog play. I want to work on their engagement and focus. But don't strictly work on engagement and focus without ever working towards letting them play and then get their attention back. So you should go to puppy class when you want your dog to learn about other dogs and how to handle itself and body signals and how to play and not play and all those kinds of socialization skills. That's when you should go to puppy class. You should go to puppy class when you have the fundamentals of obedience engagement, maybe sit, eye contact, name recognition. Those are kind of the basics, the bare bones. That's what I would go with. At least name recognition and sit. Those would be my two. If you could only do two in the week that you had it before you brought them, those would be the two. Then, you should not go to class if your dog is overly excited about other dogs. Right? If they're absolutely over the moon, you need to take a step back, work on more engagement, work on obedience around dogs. Okay, We had plenty of dogs that were in class, were getting way too excited, and so we would do private sessions with them. They learn how to be engaged and manage themselves, and then we can put them back into puppy class as long as they were within the age range of this facility. So how old does your dog need to be in order to go to puppy class? Number one, they should have all their vaccinations. Okay, As long as the other dogs have their vaccinations, you're probably okay. But you should at least have your first round of shots. Okay. Uh, number two, your dog should still be within a socialization window if you got it from a breeder. Okay, So that is before 14 to 16 weeks. So if you got them at eight, you only got eight weeks left, if that. Okay, it varies per dog, but generally it's four to twelve weeks, sometimes fourteen weeks. So you really want to, as soon as you get the dog, try to get him to class, or at least around another dog. Okay. Yes, they had litter mates, but other dogs play differently, and if all the litter mates played a very particular way, you're going to want big dogs, small dogs, overly excited dogs, mellow dogs, those kinds of things. And finally. Your dog should only go to class when you are 100% with your dog. What do I mean by that? If you're going to go to class and be thinking about 800 other things, your dog is not getting the benefit out of going to class with you. So, I've had people drop off their dog. I've had people cancel last minute. I've had people stop in the middle of class and leave. Because I told them, listen, your dog is only here to learn from you. If you are not going to teach, your dog is not going to learn, and this is a waste of your time and your dog's time. Some people decided to stay simply for the fact that their dog would then get to play with other dogs and they'd be tired. That, to me, shows that you just want your dog to be tired and you don't want them to learn. That's fine. If that's your prerogative, if that's your goal, go for it. But my goal at the end of the day is to have a well-behaved, well-trained dog that I can trust off-leash in any environment around any stimulus. That is my goal for every dog that I have, every dog I work with, 
despite the goals that the owners have, I'm still going to clearly work on those. But as a trainer, as somebody who's seen way too many dogs half-trained, uh, half-listening, only listens with treats, I've seen too many of that. Too much of dogs running into the street simply because the owner didn't have the e-collar on or simply because they, they said it wrong or whatever it is. If we can get dogs at 100%, 100% trained, I will be happy. And that means that owners have to be 100% trained and they have to be 100% in the game. So I've had people just go home. I've said, you know, relax, take the rest of the night off. Your dog will be fine from today until tomorrow. Come back tomorrow to this puppy class. We can go back through it. But if you're going to go to puppy class and just expect your dog to get tired, yeah, they will get tired. But that's not the goal. So I guess the question is, how old should your dog be to go to puppy class? As soon as you are ready to start working with your dog. And that should be very quickly, or very soon after you get your dog. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you think family or friends would benefit from what you heard today on Acknowledged Dogs, please share it with them. You can post it on Facebook. We are also on every social media platform, so make sure you tag us, Matador Canine. You can also head over to Matador Canine and schedule a free consultation to talk about coaching and reaching the goals with your dog and those problem behaviors, reach the goals that you want, and have the dog that always listens.